0: This is Cybersound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity.
1: Welcome to Cybersound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal, joined today by Steve Morescu, Mike Grandy. Hey, guys. Hey. How you doing? Joining today via Zoom is Pat Pearson, Vice President of Open Banking Partnerships at MasterCard. Welcome, Patrick.
2: Thanks, guys. Great to be here.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, I think, an exciting podcast for us, right, because obviously, you know, is so focused on protecting consumers and businesses from fraud. Uh, obviously, we spend a lot of time you know, clearly in the security space relative to identity protection and you know, to data protection overall. So I think this will be an interesting conversation around
3: that. For sure, for sure. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing Patrick for a very long time. Uh, and I'm just so happy to have him join us today uh, to talk about his background experience and some of the initiatives that MasterCard's taken on. But maybe to kick off, Pat, you wanna just give us a little uh, review of your bio and, and where you came from and what you're working on today.
2: Absolutely, Mike, thanks. Uh, it is great to be here in a different setting with you guys. Um, so I've been in, uh, in the financial services and, and uh, financial technology space for the past 14 years. Um, for the last seven, I, I've spent at Mastercard in um, a number of roles. I, I now lead our our partnerships team, as was mentioned at the top, um, focused on proliferating uh, distribution of Mastercard open banking te- technology, which I'm sure we'll get into over the course of the conversation. But prior to that, spent seven years in uh, in the financial services space in higher education, um, ultimately providing all the technology that helps move money on and off campus through the business offices of colleges and, and universities.
3: So, you know, we spend a lot of time in, in, in many of those arenas, uh, especially higher ed, uh, where, where, you know, a great number of our clients are based, also municipal work, uh, state and local governments, and, and small business as well. Um, maybe talk us through where MasterCard is looking ahead and some of the things that they, they see as initiatives for 2024 and beyond uh, in that space.
2: Sure. So um, I'll, I'll kind of start from a, a, an outside-in view, and we can, we can zoom into the particulars. Um, I, I think at the core, we, we look at ourselves from a network perspective um, as stewards of data. Our job is to connect two sides of a transaction and to process sensitive data between those parties to make sure that the people trying to transact on our network are who they say they are, uh, and so that merchants can you know whoever's accepting those payments can have a high level of confidence that uh, those payments are legitimate so that's what we've done on the core network from mastercard for the last 50 years and in contrary to a lot of people's beliefs and certainly i i still correct my family members after seven seven christmas and thanksgiving dinners that uh, we're not a credit card issuer so you don't have a credit card directly with mastercard uh, we work with banks uh, Who we'll ultimately issue our cards? So we operate a franchise, and, and our job as the franchise is to make sure that data is processed securely on that on that network, and that we bring additional capabilities to help ultimately resolve identities, ensure availability of funds, so that people can transact instantly on our network. Um, what we're focused on now, coming kind of from a looking for head perspective, is you know we got into a space called open banking. Um, you know, a lot of people listening to this may not have any idea what we mean by open banking, but I can guarantee you that most people have used open banking; they just don't know it by that name. Um, ultimately, we enable people to connect their bank accounts to more easily transact uh, amongst some other use cases. And so, again, same principles: people need to transact out of their bank account, um, send money to a third party or receive money from a third party. And we're using uh, technology to be able to make sure that the people transacting on each side and most importantly, the person who is wanting to get money in or out of that account is the actual rightful owner uh, of that account. And we can get into the particulars about how we're how we're enabling that.
0: Yeah. So thanks, Pat. I'm curious because we deal with a lot of fraud investigations regarding disbursements that went to parties that should not have received them, attempts to collect money redirected elsewhere. How does that intersect with open banking and the validation that you're referring to?
1: And actually, before you answer that, I do want—can you um, give a couple of examples of maybe consumer-facing applications that you would consider open banking? So to help ground that sure. for people.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Right. I'll use a really simple account opening um, uh, use case. So uh, I'm willing to bet that most people listening to this have a Venmo account. Um, so Venmo is a is a stored value wallet, right? Um, And when you open a Venmo account, there's not just money sitting in that Venmo account, unfortunately, when you open it, right? So you you open a Venmo account, um, Venmo then prompts you to say, hey, Pat, before you can actually transact with your Venmo account, you need to put money into that account from an external bank account you have elsewhere. Um, And what, what then happens is Venmo will say, hey, you know, 10 years ago without open banking, it would have been, hey, Pat, can you please manually type in the name of the bank where your account sits? routing an account number which none of us ever have on hand I don't even own a checkbook um, and so and then there would be a validation that would happen over the course of time hey Pat we're gonna drop a couple of transactions under a dollar into that account remember to come back here three days later to see if those transactions went in right and what they're doing in that that's called micro deposit verification what they're doing is assuming that if you're able to go see that those transactions posted to the account successfully that you must have been able to log into that account, so you must have known, you know, had the right credentials, you gave us the right routing and account number, you didn't fat finger it in, right? And that's a a very old school way. What Open Banking is, hey Pat, we need to fund this account, MasterCard to validate all of the information that I just described before, routing and account number that you own the account, all you have to do is log into your bank account. So up pops our widget, um, and it says, hey, identify the bank, so I click on the Chase logo, I log into my Chase account, I connect the actual i I select my savings account or my checking account uh and then i'm done and then our system will actually go to chase retrieve the routing and account number we'll retrieve the name and address on file with chase for that bank account and we send that to the receiving party and then they can verify um probably some data they have from you guys to say do we actually believe these two people to be the same um and and there's some other biometrics we can talk about that we're, we're doing as well but from a from a most basic perspective that's a Hopefully, a pretty digestible yeah, yeah. example.
1: Yeah, and, and and you certainly dated everybody here because we all understand you know <laughs> when people gave you one penny
2: and took away one penny, exactly. and that's to
3: validate, right? Uh, it's and-
2: still very, it's still very uh, uh, prominent today. Unfortunately. Oh yeah, so. Okay yeah
3: and and mm-hmm. i and I would disagree slightly in that uh, I think my nieces and nephews would would think that venmo accounts are automatically opened <laughs> up with, with deposits money. ready to go, ready to spend and magically uh they're refilled but sorry you, you were you were saying
0: yeah so I, I mean ultimately you're you're using the validation that the originating banks did in person or however the account was established as a means of establishing that chain of data. Is that effectively one way of interpreting it?
2: Yeah, I would think so. I would just say that it's it's usually not the originating company. So if you think about it, these these ACH transactions are usually a pull. So I give you my information. Sure. Your bank then sends a request to my bank to pull the funds out of my account. And so yeah, it's it's validating the um, the the uh, I guess yeah the originator of the transaction. But but it's you know it's not the person who's sending the money. In your case, it's the person who's receiving it. Yep.
3: And, you know, and one of the areas that I'm sure uh, is, is, is a, you know, you're on a nice edge uh, is, you know, building more security into the product sets and, and more assurance, but at the same time, making the user experience enjoyable, quick and efficient. And, and sometimes those, those two areas sort of work against each other. So maybe you could talk about some of the initiatives and, and some of the things that you're, 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 you and your team are looking at in that area.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There, you're right, Mike. There there needs to be some kind of natural tension, right? You want to make it as easy as possible for the person to open and fund their you know, online account, but we need to take the necessary steps to make sure that there's not fraud happening. And in these spaces, uh, account opening fraud and account takeover has become um, very, very prevalent because of the lack of data, real-time data available to the entities that are transacting. So some of the things we're doing, you know, it's one thing for us to tell Venmo team, hey, the bank said, Chase says it's Patrick Pearson at 123 Main Street that owns the account. We just passed that data through. That's kind of moderately helpful. But what we're also able to do now is we can say, we can tell them as well, hey, here's the IP address of the device that this person's using to connect this bank account. Have we ever seen this IP address match this name and address before? Um, Have we seen that name and address match at all before if so how prominently um you know if we've seen pings to we have a proprietary database through a separate asset that we have at mastercard um that looks at all that combined with the biometrics we we see on the phone so you take all of this information in real time you can really figure out you know does the ip address make sense like is the ip address in connecticut where pat lives according to the address we got from the bank or is the ip address in you know vietnam um because it's part of a You know, uh, uh, a server farm for account takeover where they're just, you know, stuffing credentials into third party apps.
0: So, you know, on the balance, is the fraud that you're trying to reduce and detect earlier more dominant at account funding after the account has been established? What, What sort of timeline is more typical for, you know, criminal intervention with legitimate accounts?
2: Um, Yeah, all of the above (laughs) for sure, (laughs) Um, you know, to varying degrees, account, account takeover fraud has been around for a while. Um, You know, the the old school way is say you dropped your debit card at the gas station and somebody picks it up and starts, you know, emptying your bank account on the debit card. Um, You know, e-commerce, it's become even easier because, you know, like, like me, I'm sure you guys get notifications every couple of weeks that your username or your password or the combination has shown up in some data leak. Uh, on the dark, and it's available on the dark web. So, those credentials are being used and by third parties who have tens of thousands of combinations of username and passwords. You guys know this. we have to speak. I don't preach on the choir. So, um, you know, that, that stuff is happening all day long. Um, we're the, the new one, and they always stay ahead, right? They're always one step ahead, as you guys know, right? Um, and so, account takeover has been there for a while. Account opening fraud has become very, very prevalent, especially when, if you think about it, you know, you open up a new checking account. Sometimes there's, you know, a two hundred dollar bonus that you get as soon as you open the account. So, you know, these fraudsters are opening accounts. Um, they're connecting some kind of legitimate third party bank account, and they're getting the reward, transferring the money out, and you know, see you later. They never, and then they close the account. Um, so it's it's all over the place. But you know that that latter part is what we're we're trying to help. You know, especially financial institutions uh, guard against today.
3: So as fast as the marketing uh, gurus are coming up with new ways to increase sales and increase uh, activity and new client acquisition, the fraudsters and and uh, and bad actors are thi- figuring out ways to uh, abscond with those with those gains. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, they're not. They, very literally, there is a direct correlation. When you watch the Super Bowl and there's ads for new, you know, when remember when a couple of Super Bowls ago where every other commercial was crypto. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there there was a direct direct correlation between uh, the spike in accounts opened and fraud that happened in those institutions directly was tied to uh, the ads in the Super Bowl in the twenty four hours thereafter.
1: Do, do you? So I know you you have a background in higher ed. Uh, you know we've got a, a whole variety of sort of government and state local uh, companies that we work with. Are there any industries that you think are more prone to fraud or, you know, have a greater risk for sort of some of the activities that you talked about? Like I think about just a transactional volume within higher ed and, you know, my instinct would be that that's a high risk area, but I'm curious your thoughts.
2: It absolutely is. So from a risk perspective within higher ed, a lot of the risks that's associated with money movement is disbursements. Um, you know, not a lot of people trying to take somebody's checking account over to pay, you know uh, a forty thousand dollars tuition bill, right? they're uh, they're more wanting to to fraudulently receive uh, excess funds or you know somebody drops out of a class and deserves a refund for the for the course fee. Um, so that is where uh, a lot of the fraud tends to happen in higher ed from our experience. Um, and you know a lot of that, and whether it's higher ed or you know municipalities or utilities or whatever, You know, I I think it's a lot about the adoption curve. And, you know, it's reliant on all of us to bring the same level of sophistication to those um, uh, constituents and and partners and clients that, you know, big tech firms and big banks have have availed themselves to for a number of years.
0: So there's an interesting intersection here because we've spoken with other organizations that help detect application fraud.
1: Right. Well, as Maurice just yeah. Absolutely. a couple months
0: ago. This is precisely what you're talking about, where it's not a real person. They're claiming to be, or they're, you know, rinsing and reusing an identity, joining a course, and then with illegitimate funds to begin with, using the school as a mule and redirecting it elsewhere. So very interesting kind of a, a scenario you're talking about. It's the other end of that equation.
1: Right. And, it, and it also shows, you know, because I think Maurice brought up, you know, there are four-year institutions that are actually less prone to that risk than community colleges, which have that
3: open enrollment sort of continual enrollment. Right. Um, You know, yeah, yeah, sorry. I I, I had sort of a a two-parter, but the first part would be, you know, sort of looking forward, you know, new year uh, objectives in 24 and beyond. You know, you've talked about some of the strategies and and some of the ways that, you know, you and and MasterCard are are approaching the market. you know, what do you see out there? So, I don't want to say what keeps you up at night, uh, but you know, what are what are the areas that when you're talking to your clients and your partners um that is sort of uh, really top of mind and, and really the areas that they, they really want focused on moving forward?
2: Yeah. Well, Mike, you know, my kids keep me up at night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> outside of uh, no to, yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, but to your to your question, you know, I, I think one of the things that that are clients and partners struggle with and again you know I'm talking to technology providers who are serving you know municipalities and governments. so I'm step one step removed from you guys but at the end of the day I think there's so much talk about fraud that it's like a prioritization exercise Um, I'm getting inundated by all these new capabilities you know Pat's telling me that you know he can validate all this sensitive information in real time and you know meanwhile like you know we barely have a bank has a separate login for online banking versus mobile mobile banking like yeah. that is a real thing that tens of thousands of banks struggle so it's like how do you even begin to prioritize where to start uh and you know is it more of like a a thumb in the you know in the huge gaping hole in the dam or yeah. is it you know i i can be proactive so i think it's i think it's a prioritization struggle um they all know everyone's aware that there's fraud happening it's you know, how how precise can I be and, and how much effort does it take to do that? And how do I prioritize it against a number of other priorities that have nothing to do with fraud, but there's some kind of technological component, which is obviously, you know, where you guys can come
3: and help.
0: Back to our security fundamentals, yeah, right. uh, you know, leading the way. I I think there are some other, you know, trends underway. The FTC has lowered its reporting thresholds for certain types of disclosures and security incidents. I think that's helpful. It's, you know shedding more light on those situations where organizations need to defend the data more appropriately. It's the under other end of the equation, I suppose. You know, it's maybe, you know,
3: putting a bow on, on some of this, you know, your, your area, you know, partnerships, partnerships are built on trust, uh, you know, and, and trust it come with trust comes, you know, what are you doing with my data? What are you doing with my information? Uh, so I think you've got, you know, uh, quite a heavy lift of responsibility to your partners and your clients. Uh, but, you know, really appreciate you joining us today for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah
2: absolutely. Mike. Uh,
1: any uh, any closing thoughts, anything that we haven't covered that you're hoping that we might ask?
2: Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I mean, I, I think just, you know, it wasn't a question that, but the statement Mike just made, um, I think the, the term partners and partnership has become co-opted a bit by mm-hmm. the entire sales world. Um, and you know, I, I think there is a big difference between a vendor and a partner. Um, a vendor is transactional. They they just make the sale, you know, they'll talk to you again when your contract renews in whatever, three, five years. Um, and, and I think for us, and I'm sure the same for you guys. And I I know from having talked to Michael over a number of years as the business has grown, you know, having someone who can come in and, and really understand your business, uh, as well as you do is is the only way a partnership really evolves because there is a two-sided trust to know that you know you're only suggesting to me the things you know i need you're not trying to sell me stuff i don't need um and you know as cliche as that all may sound i i, I think in this day and age now um that having a partner who you truly truly trust and again i'm sure you can look across you know your book of business too and and there's just there's just Uh, Clients you have that you know there's just like this two way intrinsic trust, and they're they're helping you be smarter at your business and vice versa. So I think I spend a lot of my day trying to understand how we can be better in our business, and a lot of that comes from external feedback we get from clients or or prospects.
0: Yeah, I I think that's very true. Yeah, security information security is the trust business. That's right. That's our job. I mean, I
1: I think that's the spot to end right there. Right? Absolutely. Partnership and trust. That's it. So well put. Pa- yeah, Patrick, thanks for joining today. Uh I really appreciate your perspective. Uh especially coming from that financial side of the practice, right? We we tend to do a lot uh in, in other ways and probably not quite as much in the day to day transactional financial space. So I appreciate your perspective there and joining us.
2: Yeah, absolutely, guys. It was really fun. I appreciate uh appreciate the conversation.
1: Great. Likewise. Thanks. All right. And thanks if anybody so ever has any questions about uh, sort of cardholder data security or you know, anything you want to continue, of course, feel free to reach out to us. We can engage Patrick again and uh, continue the conversation. So thanks for listening as always.
0: We'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to get in touch at Vancord on LinkedIn. And remember, stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been Cybersound.